Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 500 with Michael Bruschetta. It's just about having trust um, and trusting the people around you and the people you hire. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicsuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Michael Pachetta. Michael, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh, it's 8 a.m. in Melbourne <laughs> and I'm only half a sip through a coffee, so a, I'm feeling about right as unstoppable as you can be. Yeah. <laughs> With the <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, I appreciate you making time. Uh, with a degree in hospitality management from Swinburne, Michael Bachetta spent 3.5 years working under the guidance of Ben Shuri at Attica Restaurant, named among the world's 50 best restaurants. In 2016, together with friends in the industry, Bachetta launched Grow Assembly, a series of food and wine talks from some of the most forward-thinking minds in the industry. Currently, Bachetta is the venue manager and co-owner behind Bar Liberty in Fitzroy, named Best Bar and Best Wine Bar by Time Out in 2018. Additionally, Bachetta is the co-founder and CEO of Worksmith, a co-working space for the food and beverage industry. Man, you got a lot going on. I don't know how you juggle it, but maybe that's something we could talk about, how you do juggle all these things. Uh, I can't wait to dive into your story and to, to figure you, you out, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, I've got a few and I feel like I, I sort of nailed it down to, to one thing and it it kind of reflects on on how I am and how I've been for uh, sort of the last ten years of my life. And uh, reflecting on it, uh, I was looking at it, and it was very much about how hard I work. And a lot of people talk about that. Uh, all my friends like you work too hard and that sort of thing. But then it, it kind of reflects on the quote, and it's work harder than you think you did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, work harder than you think you did yesterday. How has that served you? I mean, do you ever get to the point where you think you work too much? Yeah, I'm. I was having this conversation last night with a friend and it's uh, the way he sort of posed it because he's similar to me, works really hard, does a lot. And he first thing he said is it's not about doing less work. It's about doing more in the areas you're you're neglecting. And and for me, that's a neglecting sort of social time with, with friends outside of the industry as well as like uh, well-being, so fitness and, and, and general well-being as well. And they're the things I'm definitely neglecting. So it's not so much about doing less of the of the work, but doing more in those areas. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, but at the same time, too, I think you can say if, if you really live intentionally uh, and you make friends with the people you work with and you create this uh, intentional 
uh, world where you there is really no work life balance, but there's just your life's work. Uh, is there anything wrong with that? I don't think there is. I think a lot of people have this like this false sense of work life balance. Sometimes maybe that's the American in me saying no, like, I, the, the never stop working. Uh, but what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, it's something I speak a lot about to uh, a lot of people here at Worksmith and uh, the staff that, that work with us at, at the bar. And for me, I, I feel as though the, the work-life balance thing is a bit broken. Yeah. Because people look at it and like, oh, I, I want to work 40 hours a week and then I'll just live for the weekend. And, and that's, that's work-life balance. Whereas for me, it's if you're not happy in your job, then you're not going to so much enjoy uh, your the time outside of it either. So for me, it's about ensuring you're doing something that you really, really love. Like I prefer to work 80 hours something that I love than 40 something that I hate. Yeah. And I, th- I think people who work 40 hours of something that I hate in their life is just mental to me. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't get it. Uh, so I think this is a great way to get the thing started, uh, the conversation. And I can't wait to kind of figure out uh, who it is or, you know, that you are, that, that you're able to juggle all these things and how you're able to kind of, uh, get to where you are in, in a relatively short time. You're a young dude. We're saying 28 years old. You got all these projects going on. Uh, so where did it all start for you? When did you know that this was going to be your career? Um, I obviously by my name, it's pretty obvious from an Italian family, uh, grew up cooking, uh, with my grandmother and my mom. And I actually wanted to be a chef for a long time, uh, for, a good five, six years. That's what I was going to do. I was going to be a chef. I love cooking. And then for, I don't know, I couldn't tell you that the turning point that I ended up on the other side of the past, but, um, I, I think it was a few friends to say, man, you, you, you're quite personable. You, you like talking to people. I think you should be sort of, uh, on the other side. And then I started looking at, uh, management courses and I, I left school, uh, and did two years, uh, hospitality management and that's where I started to meet more people in the industry and started to realize that there was a career path uh, for front of house not only for chefs um, and then from there started working uh, out in the Yarra Valleys uh, a, a wine region just outside of Melbourne my first sort of five six jobs were in cellar doors breweries and that sort of thing how old were you at this time uh, I was 19 Okay. So one key takeaway up to this point, I think we don't pay attention enough to what the world around us is telling us. Like you at a young age had a a vision for yourself uh, to be back of house, but you were receptive to what the world was telling you that you're probably better suited for the front of house. And I think sometimes we kind of get stubborn about what we want to do. Sometimes we need to kind of uh, listen to what the universe is saying and it will point out our strengths and weaknesses. And we have to be able to be receptive to that and lean into our strengths and weaknesses. And uh, what were you like? Was it what was that? reflecting back at the time and hearing all this feedback about who you were and how you were good with people, how'd that make you feel? Uh, it made me feel really good because it's some, I was always the, I don't want to say the funny guy in the group, but I was yeah. always like the loud one and got along with everyone, whether they were old, young, like I got, I got always the guy that got along really well with teachers and then parents, yeah. and friends, friends and that sort of thing. Um, girlfriend's parents always loved me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and that was always my personality growing up, and it just became this progression into working in front of us. So let's dive into that. Who do you, who were you back then, uh, and you still are today? What was it? The characteristics, the natural abilities about you that made you so likable? Uh, I think it comes back to my my grandmother and my mother and my upbringing. It's like innately Italian to be hospitable, no matter who you are. If you walk into 
uh, an Italian's household, it's it's like you look after them like your family. And I grew up whenever someone would come over to stay the night, I'd get kicked out of my room. And early days I used to hate it, and then I used to understand that it's like yeah. just being hospitable. So they would take the bed, and and I'd sleep on the floor and the lounge room or something like that. And just little things like that. Growing up, I started to realize that that's just being a hospitable person and host. And then also seeing how my friends were treated in in my house in my grandmother's house. Like my friends still call my grandmother Nonna. How are they treated? Get specific. It's like it, it's not like growing up. It was never like adults sit at a table and the kids sit on another table and friends it was all together yeah everyone eats the same food at the same time there's no special treatment and everyone everyone's special in, in that um and and my friends still still value that now 10 15 years later they still remember how they were treated in uh in my grandmother's house and my mother's house and that definitely seeped into how i treat people i can't i can't stand being having someone at my house with having a, a, a drink in front of them or a snack or, or something like that. I always have to make sure that they're being looked after in any way possible. And taking care of them. People never forget how you make them feel. Uh, this is yeah. one thing that just sticks with people. Awesome way to kind of uh, start painting the story of who you are. So uh, when did you make the commitment to go to, go to school? Like, wh- Is there a moment where you're like, this is going to be my career? Like, This is what I'm doing? Can you, can you bring us to that moment right there? Yeah, I, I was never great at school I, I was never bad but I, I my marks weren't great I was always middle of the road never amazing at, at anything in class um and as I went along I started to realize that it didn't uh, the, in, at that age when you're sort of 15 16 as you guys know as well the teachers and a lot of people put a lot of pressure on you for where you're going to go in your career and they try and at the age of 16 sit you down like what do you want to do with your life? And yeah, who like knows? It's just like, I'm 16. I haven't even <laughs> yeah. stepped outside of Australia. I have like, no idea who I am. Like, you want me to make my life decisions right now? I get yeah. it. I think it's absurd, yeah. personally. Yeah, uh, I, find it, I find it crazy. And I started tuning into that pretty early, thank God, and uh, realized that for me to find out what I really wanted to do, I actually need to take a year off. So after uh, year 12, which is our final year here, I took a year off from everything. So I worked with my stepfather as a, a laborer, like doing like welding and boiler making and building things basically, which is actually, I actually still value to this day. I never thought then it would help me now, but it's made me quite a good problem solver. I can swing a hammer. Which is a good skill to have in the restaurant business. <laughs> exactly. yeah. um, and during that time, I, I worked intermittently between travel. So I went to the States and I've got, I've got cousins uh, in New York and Long Island. So I spent a lot of time with them and finding out who they were because I'd never met them before. I went to Italy and, and just did a bit of travel. And then it wasn't until I got back that I felt as though I was going in the right direction. Going yeah. into hospitality. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the path I would love to see mo- more people go on uh, who don't quite understand or know where they need to be in life yet. Just go get experience go live, go travel, go experience the world and, and figure it out and listen and be receptive to what the world's telling you. And that's kind of sounds like what you did with just getting out there, talking to people, people saying, Oh, like, you know, you're more geared to the front of house. And you actually ended up going and spent a year abroad in uh, Europe to get experience in restaurants but at the age of 20. Yeah. Like so that's crazy. As soon as I finished, uh, I finished my course the next day I got on a plane and went to, went to London and, uh, 
just through a friend that used to work at the restaurant, I had an interview at, at Nam, which is actually closed now. It was the first Michelin-starred Thai restaurant run by an Australian, in fact. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I had the interview and I had to, because it was, it was within a hotel, so it actually got the interview with the restaurant manager and he just got passed on and it was yeah. like four interviews for a waiter's position. And I thought, this is holy shit, it's pretty intense. I didn't expect it. I thought, it's a restaurant. Yeah. It'd be maybe one, two interviews, but it was all the way up the chain. Um, is that something you do today? Do you, do you use that same approach to interview, interviewing? No, it's very much uh, we, the owners, myself and my business partner, do a couple of interviews with one person and that, that would be it. Okay. Um, we don't go as intense of okay. getting passed on to people. Um, yeah, and it wasn't until after, after they hired me that they asked me how, because I don't have my age or my CV, never have. <laughs> it wasn't until I started working. They're like, how old are you? I was like, uh... 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank, thank God that uh, I was allowed to stay. So this is probably like your first job in a, like a legit, uh, serious restaurant. What were the biggest lessons, the biggest learning curves for you during this time? Uh, yeah, first legit restaurant, like at that sort of Michelin star level. And it was also my first restaurant uh, within a hotel. I always come from working in family run venues. And just process was the biggest thing so there was a process for absolutely everything mm. um and i certainly still see that today as being really valuable to um my time that was really valuable because i was able to look at their processes and good or bad i just understood that there had to be process what was their the approach the process can you kind of break it down for us uh, the, the way they in- implemented process into their business yeah it was quite refined it was really refined because it is that high level and it's just uh, when I say process, everything from how you approach a table, how you talk to the table about the menu specifically, uh, how do you talk about the wines by the glass, what wines to recommend for which dish. And it was always like this, these set processes. There wasn't – they didn't leave much to chance basically. And okay. I think the way they saw it is that if you could implement these processes to, with each staff member, then they had a much more likely chance of succeeding <laughs> each night than just saying they're a good waiter they're going to get by. Yeah. So it was like, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Um, whereas other restaurants have worked in previously. And even after it was very much like, you know what you're doing. This is our menu. This is our one. Just go do it. So that, that, that was the foundation for you. That, that system, that high level of process kind of laid the foundation where you'd never, I mean, you never had to work in a restaurant that was at that same level of, as of process, yeah. but at least you, you learned the process with a high level of process operation. Uh, yeah, exactly. but do you think that that high level of process is something that we should be aiming for in today's age? Uh, I sit about halfway on it. So yeah. I, when we hire people, we hire always for 51% emotion. So, um, what I mean by that, we always hire people that are more emotionally connected to themselves and the people around them than how skilled they are. Yeah. Um, so at, at Attica, I definitely learned that where, um, we would have, you know, it's a top 50 restaurant, best restaurant in Australia. So you imagine how many uh, resumes yeah. get passed. And with like amazing resumes and um, with jobs on there that I only wish I could have done. And then you get them onto the floor and they'll complete robots and it just wouldn't work. And, and a lot of the time we end up hiring the person with the least experience, uh, but the best personality because they're able to talk to guests. They fit really well in the team. And we could see that we could that we could train them. Yeah. Whereas the, the a lot of the other people, 
great CVs, really good technical staff member, but just didn't fit in the team at all. Didn't get along with guests, not didn't get along with guests, but didn't interact with guests very well. And for us, that's we're, we're in hospitality, and to be hospitable is the most important thing. Yeah, we can, we can teach everything else. Absolutely. So I kind of want to go deeper into Attica and some of the the mentors you had there because it seems like this is probably where you grew the most as a professional. But any other lessons from Nam we can gather before kind of moving on to the next year of your life or the next two two and a half or three years was it? Yeah, three and a half years at Attica. Um, I guess for for Nam, not only teaching me process, it also taught me what I didn't want to do, which I think is really important. A lot of people say you know try and get the jobs that are going to teach, like, are going to give you that progression and uh, you're going to enjoy the most. And I, I did enjoy it in, in parts, but it made me realize that I didn't want to work in a restaurant that was within a hotel or within a greater chain of restaurants or anything like that. Okay. Because what was it about that environment that didn't resonate with you? Um, uh, for me, I loved working in family-run restaurants because if you had an idea, a lot of the time you're allowed to just go do it mm. or you're allowed to go find it and you had to work it out yourself. Whereas working in within a, re- a restaurant, within a hotel, or within a, a greater, a larger company, you find that when you have an idea, you can't just go and implement it. No. It has to go up the chain. Yeah. And then it comes back down and you're allowed to do it. Um, and I found that quite frustrating. And, and for me, we, <laughs> the way we run our business is very much on the fly. Like yeah. We're making really fast, hard and fast decisions every day. You're touching on something that makes me super hopeful for the future, by the way. And I think uh, a lot of people, when I, when I say what I say about the industry going back to kind of, I think the, I think the, the independent, the small operator is going to, uh, Win. I really do. I am hopeful that we are going to come out on top because we're learning so much about uh, emotional uh, and just um, emotional sustainability, what it takes for us to be happy. And one yeah. of those things you just mentioned that the, the sense that you're contributing, contributing and growing and being heard is such a key element of uh, being able to, to stay happy at work and in big operations when the only thing that makes those big operations work well is the consistency and the uh uh, the, the the systems, the processes that we talked about, uh, you can't be a human. You can't do human things. And it's very just not fulfilling <laughs> at all. Uh, so and we live in this market now where the cultures are the restaurants with the best cultures, the ones that are winning. So I don't see the big operations being able to compete on the, the, the culture front. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's what it's really interesting stuff. Sorry. I don't mean to talk too much. This is your time to shine, but you just uh, hit right. us. Uh, for me, it's, it's a hard one. They, they're not going to be able to compete on the culture front, but then they're also the ones that have the resources and, and basically money to be able to spend more money on hiring people to implement things, if that makes sense. But at the same so time, we're learning so much. People are saying, like, you know, don't take a job for the money. Take a job for, for who you're going to be with and what you're going to learn uh, because exactly. you, you want to become a person of value, you know, mm-hmm. the skills. And, and that, that value will help you make far more money in the future than the, you know, the, the $2 an hour more you're making now for making for yeah. sacrificing <laughs> everything. Uh, all right. So uh, we learned about what you didn't want to be. Uh, okay. So those are some good lessons. Moving on to this time at Attica. What was it about Attica that made you want to join that team? Uh, from the outside, it, it was the only restaurant on the top 50 list. At that stage, it was actually like in the 70s or something. And I was quite intrigued by it. It was when the list was still relatively young. And in Australia, no one really knew what that list meant. 
Uh, when I was in Europe, it was a big deal and it was only sort of just starting to infiltrate, infiltrate into Australia. And I was looking initially at the food and the, the presentation of a lot of Australian native ingredients, which no one was really doing uh, at the time. Whereas net, like fast forward sort of eight years later and it's, it's kinda, everywhere. It's kind of trending right uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were, Attica was definitely the, one of the first to start put it at a fine dining level. And then on top of that, I knew uh, or I heard about Banjo who was running the, the front of house team and also the, the beverage side of things at Attica and uh, was quite interested in a lot of the wines that he was putting forward that, again, weren't trendy then and are very trendy now. Okay. Uh, and at the time, I got back from, from London. I was helping a friend run a restaurant out in the Yarra Valley and I was there four days a week. And I had three days spare and that's too much for me. <laughs> and I, I just, I basically put my CV in and said, oh, I want to work a couple of nights for free. I just want to see what you guys are mm. doing. And I had an interview with Banjo and, and then they allowed me to, to work on the floor uh, as a sort of intern, as a stagiaire uh, for, for two days a week. And I did that for a couple of months and commuting. I was about an hour back home to the Yarra Valley. And then from there, uh, a casual employee left. So I took, I started getting paid for one shift a week. And then I started getting paid for two shifts. And then I left my job in the Yarra Valley and I got started getting paid for three shifts. And then, it, and then I ended up going full time. Michael, yes, man. I love this approach. And this is, you're like, you're like taking the way you're mapping this out is just the way I think everybody should get into the industry. Get some experience. Make sure you, you love it and then do whatever it takes to get on that dining floor and that back, that kitchen of the restaurant that is your dream restaurant to work for. If it means working for free for a couple months, one, one night, two nights, uh, a month or two nights a week or one night a week on your day off, yeah. whatever it takes, because eventually if the, if you show that you're committed to being a part of the team and they like you and you have what it takes, a job, a spot will open up for you. Um, yeah. and you're and you're the average of those you spend your time with. So do whatever it takes to get surrounded by these people because you will instantly elevate to that level. And I think you're a beautiful example of that. I mean, how old are you at this time? 21 years old and you're working uh, in one of the best restaurants yeah. in the world. Yeah. And by how you were there for 3.5 years. So by the time you were 22, 23, 24, you're the assistant manager. Like, geez, man, that's the uh, way to do it. Yeah, it was, it was good. <laughs> I, I definitely entered through the side door because a lot of people were asking for jobs there and, and just not, obviously there was no position. But you gotta, you gotta give before you get, you gotta show that little, that level of de- dedication. You're not going to just, you know, you got to open doors. They're not going to just open for you. I love yeah. it, man. Get in I there by any means yeah. necessary. I find it quite funny now. So, so, so much longer later, I had people then telling me, like friends and people I work with out, out in the Yarra, saying to me, like, you're an idiot. They're, they're just taking you for a ride. You shouldn't be working for free. <laughs> that's, that's theft and all this stuff. And I was just like, I'm working with the best people in Australia. I'm not, I don't, what were you learning? learning? What was the value of the lessons that you were picking up? You got That's the mentality you have to have. I mean, exactly. um, and I'm sure you're picking up a ton of stuff. So one other thing I want to dive into here, you said that they kind of had a good balance of process and uh, hiring people that didn't necessarily need the process because they're hiring for attitude and emotional intelligence. So yeah. where was the balance there with process and emotional intelligence? Like how far did they implement process? What's the, what's the sweet spot? Uh, there was process in uh, like the, the technical stuff of you know how to how to take a dish to a table, how to pour the sauce properly, things like that, which are which are obvious. Uh, but then it was very much free reign of 
you know, upselling and things of that nature. You, you, expl- you explain the dish in detail, but you, you, we didn't have a set way of saying it. So it was very much left up to you. You know what's in the dish. Explain it. So the standard uh, operating procedure is like how to pour, how to uh, drop food versus dropping drinks and things of that nature. Yeah. The, the, the basics were very standard, uh, but yeah. you got free range on how, how to upsell and how to describe and in- interact and engage with the guests. Absolutely. Um, I, I really loved that you know, it was still a white tablecloth restaurant, uh, which, is just our, which is great. They're doing like bare tops and that sort of thing. And it's, it's more, more, even more casual setting, which I think fits the restaurant even more. And a lot of people would come into the restaurant and it would be the, the etiquette. It's so hard to get into, obviously. They'd eat there once in their life and that would be it. And if you didn't make that the best meal of their life, then you failed. Yeah. And a lot of people would come in a little bit uh, apprehensive of what they're about to experience because they didn't they didn't have any uh, anything to compare it to uh, initially. So for us, it was about trying to make people feel comfortable instantly. So how do you uh, do that? How do we do it? It varied just guest to guest. Um, some people would come in and be really forward about that they didn't know what they were about to have. Um, others would try and pretend like they knew. So it was just like disarming people pretty quickly and, and trying to uh, get their level of expectation to a point that we knew we could reach because people come in just with this expectation up here. And as I said, if you don't hit it, then you've failed. And I think for us, as soon as you disarm people a little bit and be like, this is what we do, we're humans, it's just good food, it's a, a fun place to, to go go and eat, it's not all silverware and, and Gerrit on service and it's nothing like that. And some people expect that's what it's going to be like. And as soon as they walk in the door and they they walk into this tiny restaurant out in the suburbs, they suddenly realize like, oh, it's not 11 Madison Park. Like it's it's very, it's innately Attica. There's, there's nothing like it. So, um, and, and people certainly get that feel. So what I'm picking up from away. you, the, the, the big lesson that I'm getting is you got to really meet them where they're at and uh, attune to what their situation is. And you got to be receptive. You got to, you got to hear them. You got to talk to them. Like, is this your first time? Would you, would you, would you poke and prod a little? Would you say, well, this is your first time with us or how would you get that information? You just ask. Uh, it would always be like, is it, uh, is it first, everyone's first time? If it's a large table and every like 90% of the time it's like, yeah, definitely never been here before. Yeah. And we would explain, we, we wouldn't give them a menu because it was a set menu. We'd give them a menu at the end. So there's no expectation of, reading a list of ingredients and then trying to think about what that dish would be um, before it hits the table. So it was all, everything was a surprise. Okay. Um, we would just go through, you know, it's, uh, you know, 14 different courses. Some will be eaten with your hands, some uh, a little bit more formal. We'll, we'll get up at some stage and go for a little walk. So at, that, at that stage, we're taking all the guests out into the, the garden outside the, the restaurant and having a course out there. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and basically just stepping people through the evening. Uh, so there it was sort of expectation of not what they're about to get, but the, the process of how we're going to deliver it. And I think it just made people feel comfortable straight away. It's like they, they know they're getting looked after. There's no, we're not there to try and squeeze more money out of them. We're not trying to upsell things in terms of like, fancier wine or the wine pairing. We had a wine pairing about half the restaurant went for every time, but we were like, I would be happier. I'd, I'd sell a cheaper bottle of wine if I knew they were going to have a better time yeah. with it. Um, 
and and that was sort of the the ethos of the restaurant definitely the other big thing i'm I'm taking away from this is the void of being pretentious you didn't there's like you gotta like you know we might be one of the world's 50 best restaurants but who cares you know, we're here yeah. to make sure that you understand and enjoy this. And we're, we're meeting you at your level. Lose the ego is a big part that I'm kind of picking up subtly. You haven't come out and said it yet. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that I, it's probably a mantra that I actually didn't even think about until you've sort of touched on it there is people will always remember how you made them feel. Um, and not, they'll, they don't always remember how that, what they ate or what they drank, but they'll always, always remember how they made you feel. And that was definitely push throughout the the white stuff beautiful um, which is that lesson we talked about earlier today with your family you know like you know your mo- that grandmother yeah. that your friends they never forgot how they made her feel or how she made them feel exactly. awesome man so i want to spend a little more time here to see if there's any other lessons on service uh, on culture any other aha moments any other transformative times for you as a person working with this restaurant group uh i think for me i as i said i obviously started as a stagiaire and then worked my way into the team um, and it was about identifying gap, gaps in the restaurant that you could help fill. Say so, that one more time. I think I, I don't quite understand. Uh, so finding gaps in the restaurant that you can help fill. So something you can see that needs work that no one's really working on. Okay. It's a great restaurant. Um, so we never had a bartender at, at Attica. You just made your own drinks as the person doing beverage in, in that section. You just jumped behind the bar, made a cocktail, went back on the floor, served it. Um, and I could see that there was issue around that. And the cocktail list was kind of left to the side. It wasn't a, a focal point. Cocktails weren't amazing. So even though I'm not a bartender, I sort of flagged that and I started working on, on that a lot. And we had access to the most incredible ingredients. We had a huge garden uh, across the road from Attica, uh, as well as access to lots of sea succulents and all these amazing uh, booze. And it was about bringing those together. So uh, the process of about 12 months as I stepped up into the assistant manager's role, myself and Banjo got rid of all of the international uh, spirits um, and made everything that was our house poor Australian. So mm. it was right when the Australian gin boom was happening, which is still going. Uh, and we were one of the first uh, to, to really champion uh, Australian products. So I've, I definitely found a gap there that needed working on. And, and just went for it. That's a huge uh, lesson right there too, especially if you're trying to progress and move your career forward. You can't wait for somebody to engage you. You have to step up. You have to look for opportunities and you have yeah. to, to take whatever unique skills, unique selling propositions you have as a person and leverage those to fill these gaps. Um, yeah. Great stuff there. Um, what about uh, the culture of this place? How, how, how was the culture here? Uh, it was really good. We... Uh, implemented something each day which is basically like a, a team meeting so front and back house and a restaurant like that that has a lot of stagiaires in the kitchen and a sizable front of house team would be up to like 25 30 people sitting down in, in a big circle and each there's a roster and each each day someone had to talk about something it was pretty open-ended as long as it, you could relate it back to your your personal life in some way or uh, the restaurant food and beverage then you could talk about it so uh over my time there i think i spoke in in that staff meeting probably a dozen times and i've spoke about everything from where my family comes from to a dish that my nonna makes to a new cocktail that i was putting on uh a different spirit that we just got 
uh, an experience that I had at another restaurant that I loved. And uh, it was just about sharing stories. And a, a lot of the time uh, it wasn't so much that it was about training. It was more so about getting to know each other. So everyone uh, front and back of house sort of came together a, a lot more in that way. So wait, what, uh, and I, so I once before the each service, uh, one person – uh, and there would be like a rotation. One person would get up and share something personal. And was there like a, a formula that, that you guys stuck to? What was? Is, can you reflect, or is it just like free range? Just today, you have to talk. Completely free range. So as long as you could relate it back, as long as it was something about yourself that you wanted to share, or it was about the restaurant or something in food and beverage, then it was. Otherwise, it was very much free range. So with with that knowledge, was it just? Uh, would you, were you implementing things at the restaurant with that knowledge, or? Uh, was there like a, a point of always trying to improve and grow and to share knowledge? Is that kind of what was going on here? Yeah, absolutely. At, at some points it was something that was like a new ingredient that we wanted to share or a product or something like that, the sort of obvious things. Um, but I think on the whole, the biggest benefit of it was just being able to learn each, uh, learn from each other and uh, be able to understand each other a little bit more. Because, Why is that so important? Uh, because sometimes I think, especially the, the, the gap between front of back of house, which I it's spoken about a lot in restaurants. There's always the guy or girl that you that works really hard that you don't really hear is really quiet. You don't hear much from. You try and talk to them, but they're a little bit maybe evasive or not uh, not too confident, so they don't talk about themselves too much. Uh, but when you are given the opportunity, suddenly you find out something incredible about them that maybe they were too nervous or didn't have the right moment to talk about before, and then you just suddenly have this great understanding about someone that uh, you, you hadn't heard from much before. Yeah. Uh, and it just makes for a, a more cohesive team. And definitely. you're less likely to shit on somebody once you learn about them and you, you know, and, and like, you're not going to like throw the plate back at their face or whatever uh, during service. If things don't go well, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so eventually, and I'm just looking at the time here, we're already almost at a, a 35 minutes of recording time. It's going by so fast. Uh, eventually you make the decision to, to leave Attica. Um, and is this when you go out, on your own to uh, open your first bar? Yeah. Uh, so myself and, and Banjo, who was the, the restaurant manager and sommelier at Attica, both left within about two months of each other. Okay. Uh, we, we didn't have, neither of us had plans to, uh, to open Bar Liberty. It was actually our other business partners, Manu and Casey, that had the site already. And I was just looking at it, the, looking at the site for them as a friend purely. Uh, and then I happened to leave within that process. Uh, then I was asked to come on board uh, as the venue manager and, and part owner. Uh, and then within that time of starting to develop the concept more was when Banjo uh, resigned. And we always said that we'd want to do something together again at some stage, um, but we didn't realize how quickly that would be. Uh, and the, the more that the concept developed, it was obvious that it was going to be a beverage focused venue. Uh, and it, it made sense to get Banjo on board as well. Okay, so I kind of want – I had meant to ask you a little bit more about Ben uh, because I think he might have been an, a really great leader, and I wanted to see if there was any leadership lessons you picked up working under his tutelage. Uh, even though he was more back of house, what, what kind of yeah. – as an outside looking, and before we kind of dive into Liberty and how you guys pull this off and, and get into the details there, any lessons about Ben um, – I'm going to say his name wrong again. Shuri. Shuri. <laughs> yeah. uh, about his leadership that you, that you observed during this time at Attica. Uh, I, guess, I guess for me, it comes back to like he was the one that implemented the, the staff meetings each day, uh, which I think impacted on my career a lot. 
but I think the main thing was the DIY attitude. Uh, small family-run business, and he very much did everything himself, and the other owner, David, as well. Um, it was, as I said, like if you had an idea, you could just go do it, but it also translated to if you needed something built, just build it yourself or get one of the guys to build it. So it was only when they did a, a larger renovation that I saw a builder in the place. The rest of the time, it was just them doing things. Yeah. And when I saw that coming up coming from uh, London in like a hotel setting where it's nothing like that, I resonated with that the way of doing things uh, a lot more, which I've certainly carried on. So I love that approach uh, of just letting the the minds that you hire, that you employ, uh, have free range. Because if you if you restrict the, the the brain power of these people and you make them stay in their lanes and you don't let them really contribute, you're you're losing that opportunity to have this potential all star. Uh, beautiful mind uh, completely transform your business for the best. You're, you're limiting yourself to that, that brain power. Why would you do that? But how do you keep yeah. that? How did, how did you guys keep that? Um, I guess uh, controlled in, in the sense of not letting it get too crazy, not letting it be like hurting cats and no organization at all. Was there a process to, to let uh, this free? Yeah, there was still an element of a process to it. So if it was a junior staff member that had an idea, it wasn't as if, they just were allowed to go and do it without going through us. So it was like, here's the know, receipt. I want to knock through the wall and put a window there. Like, yeah. so like go do it. But it was very much, um, they were allowed, uh, a lot of people in the, the business felt comfortable to, to bring that forward. Bring to the ideas. So it was more of a encouraging people to share your ideas and then being encouraging with those ideas. If there were good ideas, what if there was a bad idea? How did you guys handle that? Uh, it was a bad idea. I think it was more about making the person realize that it wasn't quite right instead of being like, that's a shit idea, move on. And it would you explain why it was a bad idea? It would be making them realize that it was bad. So talking about what you just probe them a bit more with it. So make them would you think it out. Yeah. And how would that cost? And what would the return on investment be? And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How, how would that work on the floor? Like you want to push it, you want to push a trolley around Attica to do drinks table side something like that yeah um that's an awesome idea or great tell me how big the trolley is and tell me the width between the chairs uh in the main dining room and tell me if that would work okay cool and then they would realize oh the trolley is way too big and we wouldn't have, and the attic is very tight um you'd never be able to get it around so maybe that's not a good idea all right that's a good nugget we can move back uh fast forward to you leaving with the so you left with the beverage manager and who else uh, so it was just just banjo. So myself and myself and banjo left at the same time, uh, and then the other guys who who weren't working at Attica, uh, Manu and Casey owned uh, another restaurant that I used to frequent uh, called Rockwell and Sons, and uh, it's just on Smith Street in Collingwood. And I actually met them just from being a regular there. Uh, and and Manu is a the front of house guy. Casey's a chef, and he's a really personable personable guy, and he just started speaking to me one day when he was serving me and it turned out we had some mutual friends. And then from there, we literally had a coffee every week for years, a coffee or a drink in some, in some way uh, while I was working at Attica and we always knew we'd do something together. And it was just the, the chance of me leaving and, and them taking a new site that, that we sort of came together. So what, 
what made you leave initially? Um, if you didn't have the site yet, did you have the the plan to go into business with this guy? These guys. Um, what what exactly made you leave? I don't understand. I, I just feel like I hit a ceiling there. Definitely, um, it's a really hard place to work. You from the second you put your foot in the door to the second you leave, you you're moving like it's very quick. It's very fast paced. There's a lot going on. I really enjoyed that. But I think there was certainly a level, which we sort of touched on before, about getting the close to burnout. Um, and, you know, you have two days off, which is great. Um, but the first day you'd be ridden off because you'd be so tired. And yeah. then the last day it was like, we'll I have to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was certainly, that was getting to me a little bit uh, at that stage. And I, I, I thought that maybe I'm not quite ready to open my own business, but I feel as though if I work as hard as I did for someone else, then if I work this just as hard for myself, then potentially it'd be successful. So you left without a plan in place. You kind of just left in, uh, what were you, do you have money put away? Were you looking for other jobs? Like what was going on? Uh, no money put away. I, uh, it was very much, I just helped out friends in different restaurants. And how long of a time went from when you left Attica to, uh, some new opportunities started stirring. Yeah, so from from leaving Attica to Bar Liberty opening, it was probably five months. Oh shit! Uh, so five months yeah. from when you left, so you were you were a business partner in another business. Yeah. So how uh, much time I, from when you left that, to, that, that, that you were the time of uh, building building Liberty and and developing the concept and everything? So, so it was it probably. Was, three three months or something of just bouncing around so, and trying to work out what I wanted to do. When you left Attica, how long did it take somebody to approach you to approach you with this idea for Liberty? Uh, within a month, two months. Okay. So really within two and a half months, three months, you opened a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so when you left, did the uh, beverage manager leave at the same time? Or were they right behind you? Yeah. So Banjo was uh, a month. A month or two away. So basically, uh, he he knew that you were. He left. W- w- was it he or she? Was it Benji? What, what are you saying? Banjo. He. Yeah. Sorry, say the name one more time. Banjo. Banjo, like a the, like yeah. a banjo that you play. Exactly. That's incredible. So Banjo yeah. uh, left. Um, he knew that you were kind of just out there floating. He knew what you were capable yeah. of, and he said, "I got an opportunity. Uh, do you want to be my partner?" Yeah. Exactly. How old were you at this time? Uh, when, when Liberty opened, what was that? I was 25, 25. It's pretty young to, to be a first time, uh, bar owner. Uh, so what were the biggest lessons, the biggest hurdles, the biggest, uh, things that you wish you knew going into this process that you discovered during the process that you can share with us? I reckon we could make a whole other podcast out of it. (laughs) (laughs) We can, Um, if you want, I'm down. yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so many things just from process of, um, how to, how to project manage the, the fit out of the, the, the bar or how not to, um, what did you do wrong? So it sounds like there's a little bit of an issue there. What did you leave out? What did you miss? Uh, I think there was just a lot of issues with our architects, uh, and the builders and I will, but were the central, central meeting point for, uh, all the tradesmen. And I felt as though we were wasting a lot of time worrying about whether the builder would turn up on time or whether the, the plumber was the, the right person to, to go for. Whereas now I know with the new restaurant we're about to open, 
um, that there's great project managers out there that can do that work for you. Uh, and a really good example is that we, the, the new restaurant we're opening, the, I was actually away for three weeks of the build and I didn't have to send one email about it in terms of what was happening with the fit out because the project manager took care of everything. Yeah. A lot of people will try to GM that whole process on their own, be a general yeah. contractor in. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's one of those times where, you know, there, there are people who specialize in this, right. And there's times and places right. to, to invest in a specialist who, uh, and there might be more upfront cost, but how much time are you going to waste in, in time? Well, you know, your time is money and in the yeah. mistakes you're going to make, in the, the wrong people you're going to hire. Yeah. Uh, and these people, they work together in multiple projects. They, they are used to working together. They know how to communicate with each other. Like things exactly. go smoother. So how, how would you say the return on, like what is Can you put a value to that? Like the return on investment? Like, uh, I can't give it like a definitive value, but for me, if, if it was, there's a few parts to it, which is a huge value for using a project manager. But uh, the main thing is, you get to focus on the things you're really good at. So that's developing the concept and um, opening a restaurant um, where, whereas uh, the cost, I guess the cost of business for the time it takes to open. So if we had a project manager, we would have opened Bar Liberty, I'm confident, two months before we did. Um, and that's money. That's two months of intake uh, that we lost. So that that more than pays for what a project manager would have cost. Mm, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, not only that, but I'm sure you're losing money on having. You're probably paying rent, or were you pay, paying, you know, paying you rents? Go, yeah, um, so that's money going out. There's no money coming in. Uh, that's just more time of being going into the hole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so what are what are some of the uh, the other lessons you learned from this experience of opening your first place? Um, I guess we. Coming from Attica, which had been in existence for when we left, probably eight years or something. So it was very fast in its back of house processes. So a little bit lacking in using new technology for things like rosters and uh, even things like cash up and and things like that. Um, Whereas we were just learning these things as we developed. So I think there was lots of inefficiencies in just the way we, we ran the place initially until we started learning about things like uh, rostering programs and uh, communication tools uh, that are when online. When you say rostering programs, you're talking about scheduling apps? Dif- I mean, just different lingo, different countries, I think. Yeah, scheduling apps. Okay, so, cool. Um, there's one here uh, called Deputy, which is awesome. And you can communicate with your staff through it and it's really easy uh, and using things like that as well as uh, other communication tools that have completely changed the way we do things. Um, and we had to learn how to use those and implement those whilst opening the business. So things were a little bit clunky at the start. I think that's um, natural with any business though. When, when you're yeah. first getting started, like you're, you're figuring out your catching stride, you're working out your systems, your processes, procedures, they're not going to be perfect on day one. Exactly. Yeah. So and uh, I, I never won. Like I think I was very stuck in the way of everything has to be perfect, which I'm a little bit. I, I contradict myself a little bit on on that sort of term where I like everything to be perfect in a way, but if the difference is trying to be perfect and not getting it done or getting it done, I'm always for getting it done. Okay. Because work things out as you go yeah just launch you know something's better than nothing something something right now is better than nothing uh for the next you know two weeks 
<laughs> you know, and then just yeah. and then fine tune and, and work it out and, and tweak it and improve it as you go. Uh, just, yeah. just launch, just get something out there. So, um, any, what about how, how'd you guys get the capital for this project? Uh, we all, we all put a bit of money in okay. uh, ourselves. So there were, uh, how many owners were there? I'm curious. There's four of us. Okay. So one, one operation, four owners. Uh, yeah. You probably all had to take a little bit of a pay cut to make this happen. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. why is that worth it? Uh, cause it was our own project and we all came from sort of fine dining backgrounds and like it's called bar Liberty for a reason. Like <laughs> we, what's the reason we just want to kind of break, break away from, uh, doing things a sort of a set way and being in the spotlight and having to adhere to certain things. Um, Whereas for, for what we do at Bar Liberty, it's a place that we want to hang out in. Okay. We, we, it's, it's, we play music really fucking loud. Like, pardon. That's well. No, <laughs> um, I, you're not the first uh, one. You won't be the last one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, it's a place where you can walk in and the clash or Led Zeppelin's playing at, at full volume. Uh, that's playing whilst you drink a bottle of champagne and then you can have a shot on the way out. Like that's the, the vibe that we have. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun. And and we opened that place a little bit crazily, to be honest. Like I'm surprised at, at still two and a half years later that everyone loves it because it's certainly a, a, a bit of a, a, a fun, a fun place to be. And it's something that doesn't, didn't exist before in Melbourne. Uh, so we'd certainly started straddling the line of what was acceptable and, <laughs> uh, uh, that awesome um so one four partners uh how did you guys decide who was responsible for what how did you guys figure out lanes how going into that did you guys have yeah it was really obvious for us because casey owner number one is our chef he takes care of food uh banjo uh is quite a well-known sommelier uh, in Australia, so he's taking care of the beverage list. I'm more front of house focused with service as well as sort of back of house venue management. So I was the venue manager. And I took care of all of that. Okay. And then Manu, uh, Manu also front of house. He worked with us on the floor initially just to get us going, but he does all the administration stuff for like paying wages, HR, and- onboarding. The, the, the boring yeah, stuff. I, I did all myself and Bandage all the onboarding, but uh, Manu does all like the, the wages and the accounts and all those things that I'm not very good at, to be so honest. You said, when you said uh, venue management, were you talking about uh, like basically working with uh, special events and people looking to rent out the space, things of that nature, kind of like event sales? Exactly. So everything from uh, organizing events, uh, looking after the reservation systems, doing all the social media, uh, doing all the maintenance or organizing tradesmen to come in to do maintenance, uh, doing the roster, like all that other okay. stuff that isn't beverage related. So did you guys have like an org chart where your names are written down with all the responsibilities, the titles of, of everybody who's responsible for what, like how do you make sure everybody is, acu- uh, uh, is accountable for their responsibilities? We definitely drew up one at the start, but from, well, we honestly haven't looked at it. And there's not that many like, of you. So, but I think it's important yeah. in the very beginning to get super clear, like, all right, you know, Casey, you're on this banjo, you're on this, Michael, you're on this. And to like, to write out an org chart, put out, you know, uh, HR marketing, uh, 
back of house or, you know, whatever it is training and to put names next to every responsibility because you need to be crystal clear. So if somebody drops the ball, if some, if there's an area that's, that's slacking, you know who to go to, or at least you can say, maybe you have too much on your your plate. Maybe we should give this to somebody else, you know? Yeah. I think it's really important. And I think where, a lot of people flag the, the whole thing is like, oh, four owners, that's going to be difficult, which it is in stages. Like communication is probably our our biggest downfall and we get, as the years have gone on, we've gotten better How and better have you gotten better? What, what have you done to get better with communication? Uh, using things like Slack uh, has been amazing for us. Do you guys use Slack? Yeah, it gets mentioned yeah. a lot on the show. Yeah, so for us, the communication, using that for the, the owners, the, the team of owners, but also the staff has been amazing. Um, so we can get answers really quickly from each other and it's easier to send a Slack than to send an email and things don't get lost. And um, that, that's definitely helped, but also ensuring that we just communicate about uh, what's going on because we've all actually got businesses of our own outside of Bar Liberty. Um, so we, we're all really, really busy people. So Bar Liberty is not our sole focus. So Which is another sure good point that you're bringing up. I'm happy you're going here is because when you have four partners, you can, you can split up the workload. You know, you can, yeah. it's, it becomes manageable where if you want to go on vacation, if you want to go to a wedding, if you, if you have something you, you can do, you can sure. lean on one of three yeah. other bar owners and say, Hey, can you pick up the slack for me? during this time you don't you don't have to do it by yourself so now your quality of life you might not be making the same cha-ching but at the end of the day like your quality of life you you have people to lean on it's not lonely at the top anymore yeah and it's 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 certainly true and now that we've got a really great team in place as well outside of the owners that just fortifies that even more so i just spent three weeks in the uk with my my family and it's without having to worry i did the bar operates seven days a week and I wasn't worried about leaving at all. I mean, you, you point out something else. You, the other thing too, when you have other partners, not only do you have that better quality of life, but you can also take on other channels of revenue. You can create side projects. You can grow things. Uh, and now um, how many people work for the bar Liberty? I'm, cu- I'm curious. How many people do you have on staff? Uh, we have about 14 now, 14 people on staff, including the four of you, uh, including three of us including three of you. So that's the other thing too. You have more of an influence, more of a presence with the people on staff. It's much easier to get these people up to par to where you want them because now you can, you know, you can kind of play coverage, you know, like you can yeah. delegate, you got the people in the front of the back of house, you know, your part, your partner, Casey, who's in the back of house yeah. gets a focus on them. Uh, you know, it just makes it easier to, 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 to bring that level of culture, that level of training, that, le- that level of education up. Um, what's the other thing? Um, Okay, so you mentioned you have other side projects. Um, yeah, get into that. So how how are you yeah. able to to juggle owning this business business and having some of these other side projects? And tell us what these side projects are. Yeah, so the, the first side project is Grow Assembly. So we actually started that uh, when we started Bar Liberty as well. So the first event was I think three or four months after we opened the bar, uh, and Grow Assembly is is pretty much like TED Talks, but for the hospitality industry. Yeah, we do. We do a day of talks from people, uh, whether from across the industry, so chefs, front of house, uh, farmers, winemakers, coffee roasters, and everyone in between. Is it a food uh, focused conversation? Sorry, is it a food focused conversation? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all, all based around food and beverage still. 
uh, and, and general hospitality. And we, we always have a theme for the events and we uh, curate the, the speakers around that theme. Uh, we always have an international speaker that we fly in as well as people from interstate. Uh, and we've done four events now. Uh, and actually the, the last event was in Sydney. So we uh, jumped into Sydney this year as well. So uh, we'll do uh, an, a Melbourne event and Sydney event uh, annually now. Okay. Um, and how have you grown because of this, because of hosting this, this project? Uh, for me, it was a huge eye opener to the industry. When I worked at Attica, I want to say when we worked at Attica, so myself and Banjo uh, do Grow Assembly along with our partners in life. So both of our girlfriends do it as well. So they're both in the industry. Okay. And uh, we were working at Attica and we never really felt part of the, the larger community of mm. hospitality in Melbourne. Uh, it's this great little restaurant that operated, but I never really saw outside of those walls to other people in, in the industry very much. It wasn't until we opened the bar, then we started doing Grow Assembly that I just it completely opened the floodgates to these incredible people in different yeah. parts of the industry, whether it be coffee roasting or whatever else that I'd never met before that were literally working around the corner um, and were doing amazing things. Yeah. And we just started to learn about what they were doing. And I want to make an example of you because I feel like the industry – more so in the past than it does now. I feel like we're slowly getting away from this this habit of holding our secrets close to our chest and to uh, think of this me versus you mentality. But yeah. I've with, without a doubt picked up on a, a trend. Um, the people who are most willing to share knowledge, most willing to get out there and talk to other people in their community, and to you know say what's working for you, what isn't, what, what trends are you following? Those people who are sharing knowledge and, and collaborating and, and supporting each other and, and lifting each other up are always the people that are at the top of the market. So that mentality of just getting out there and talking to people and sharing knowledge. I mean, how, how are, how has your business been influenced because of this, because of the side project? Yeah, hugely for us. uh, It just, it raises more awareness around what we're doing. It wasn't the initial reason why we started doing grow assembly, but it's just been a bit of a side effect that people learn about what we're doing uh, more quickly uh, as well as, uh, there's been a lot of cross-pollination between businesses, like where we have the bar in Fitzroy um, around, it's a, it's a bit of a food and beverage hub and the, the amount of people that come in the door that get recommended to come to, to Bar Liberty because they've been to the Black Pearl or Bad Frankie or all these other awesome places that are around us uh, is really is a really good feeling when someone walks in to offer recommendation because you, you know you're part of that greater community. And then we obviously do the same back and we have so many great places within walking distance to, to where we are that are all really, really different that we can really tailor a recommendation to someone. Um, so whether someone likes whiskey or they love cocktails or they want another glass of wine or they want to uh, grab a beer, then we can give them such an amazing array of places and being part of that community is really important to, yeah. to do that. And uh, I also want to talk about workspace because that's your, your newest project workspace. Where was yeah. this idea that this, this shared working space for hospitality people, this is a really u- unique business concept. Yeah. I mean, the, the shared workspace isn't a new concept. I think that's no. like the, the newest probably uh, vertical for hospitality uh, is doing these shared workspaces, but you're even more niche down where you're creating a workspace for food and beverage people. Absolutely. So get specific on what's going on there. Yeah, uh, so I'm at Worksmith now and actually sitting in the podcasting room, which we're just about finished. Um, the crux of the space is very, very much like any other co-working space in terms of the physical outlay. Um, 
we have shared desks for uh, for people to use uh, as well as fixed desks. So at the moment, we just have under 40, 40 members um, and about half of those are, are resident members that use the space every day and the others are made up from people that drop into the space day to day. Uh, within the space, we have a, a stupidly big bars, like an 11 metre long bar, uh, where we conduct tastings, talks, workshops and that sort of thing. Just the other night, we had... Uh, uh, a branding team come in and speak to 40 people about uh, how, to, how to find the right person to uh, for, for branding in your restaurant or bar or, or product or, that, you're, that you're doing. Uh, so running lots of workshops like that. Uh, we have meeting room, uh, obviously the podcasting room that I'm sitting in now, and we're about to start building a commercial kitchen in the space, which uh, will be available for members and non-members to hire out to do prep in as well as use as a test kitchen concept where people can come and test new product ideas or test new dishes outside of their restaurant as well as I guess the main focus is for lots of bartenders and chefs alike to be able to just prep for events that are off-site and they need extra kitchen space. So it serves like a commissary. It also serves like a test kitchen and you're also having a lot of blogs, podcasts. How does that tie into the big picture? Yeah, so we are write a blog each week uh, on Medium called The Front Desk and we talk about uh, sort of things that are happening in the space as well as events that uh, I, I feel are valuable to people in the industry, uh, different podcasts to listen to and things like that. So just about providing more value to, to the members to the uh, outside of a physical desk and, and our members and people that are coming to the space as potential members are starting to realise really quickly that they're actually not paying for a desk, they're paying for the network mm. and the community that, that they're around. And it's a really a heartwarming thing when when I look out into the space on a busy day, <clears throat> there's, there's 35 people working in there and someone comes in for a meeting to meet one person and they actually know four people in the space and then they get to meet two new people. Uh, then they sit at the bar and have a beer at the end of the day and it's just about bringing the community together of, of hospitality. We've never had a space to do that before that was not in someone's venue. Um, yeah, so for me, it was kind of a physical iteration of what we do at Grow Assembly, uh, bringing into a physical space, uh, as well as uh, for me, something that I'd sort of talk a little bit about is creating more professionalism around hospitality. I still get asked by, by different like old friends or family members uh, that I don't particularly like seeing that they still sort of ask, uh, are you still cooking? And it's like, I've never been a chef. <laughs> they think I'm in hospitality, so I must be a chef. Or they, they kind of ask, oh, what are you going to do next? It's like, well, what do you mean what I'm going to do next? I I own a bar. I have Worksmith. Like, isn't that not enough for you? <laughs> yeah, man. A, a lot of people don't see the – in Australia, don't see the professionalism that can be around food and beverage. And I guess part of Worksmith is creating that uh, – the idea justifying justification of this exactly. is enough. Yeah. yeah, man. I love it. Awesome stuff. Uh, and you do have another project on the horizon. You're opening your, your second location. So with all these projects going on, uh, how do you know you're ready to open another restaurant? Do you, do you think you have enough bandwidth or are you bringing in more partners? How are you going to pull this off? Yeah, it's the same team as Bar Liberty. Um, and we've, we've gotten to a point with the team there that we're really comfortable like Banjo and I work on the floor, but we're only there sort of uh, between us four days a week. So we do two days each uh, as well as there for meetings and other things, but just in terms of how much time we spend on the floor. 
And our team is so strong that any member of staff that is front of house is capable of running any section, including managing the door. Um, and we've, we've always hired like that and been lucky enough to get great staff. Uh, so we feel as though it's in a really strong position for us to then leapfrog into a new restaurant. So um, is it going to be four partners or are you going to bring on any more partners or is it just still four? Okay. Yeah. So now it's paying uh, off. So you might've had to take that pay cut, you know, four years ago, three years ago. Uh, but now that you're, 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 you're creating your own network, your own team, and it's slowly starting to come back to you. Yeah. And the idea of, uh, like for the new restaurant, we're creating a whole new team over there, obviously. Um, and we're, we're building it as, uh, as a full roster. So it means that Banjo and I can actually, uh, shift between the two places as needed. So whenever there's someone sick or someone's away or, we need to need to help on a busy night, then we have that flexibility to jump in and out as, as we need, um, which I, I feel as though will create a much stronger, stronger venue. Definitely. You already managed getting a project manager for this new restaurant. If you opened a new restaurant, anything else you're going to do differently this time around with the lessons you've learned up to this point in your life? Uh, I think it'd be, I think at the start of Bar Liberty, I was very headstrong about how things had to be because I was the owner and this is how I love things to be done, which was easier at the start because it was basically the owners that worked on the floor. Um, and then as staff came on, we had to be more flexible with that. And now understanding that I've, this is the third business that I'll have and I can't be everywhere at once between Worksmith, Bar Liberty and, and Capitano, the new place, we really need to trust the people that we're putting in there and the team that we're, we're getting together for there, I'm really excited about. And to be honest, they're, they're probably much better than what I am on the floor and that's why we've hired them. And I need to trust that when I'm not there, that they're doing things the way that uh, I would agree with and, and hopefully do things better than, than I would do. So um, I feel as though it's just about having trust um, and trusting the people around you and the people you hire. Beautiful. Anything we haven't talked about before we go to the speed round? I know we're, we're, we're getting close on time, but I don't want to cut you short. Any thoughts you want to get out before we go to the speed round? Uh, I guess for me, it's about kind of touching on the work-life balance thing again. I, I still think it's crazy that, that people want to work 40 hours a week in something they hate so they can have plenty of leisure time. I, I, for me, it's about finding something you really, really love and doing it every day. I'm right and there with you, man. It's 4th of okay. July. And I'm sitting in a hotel yeah. room recording an episode. And the only reason why I'm pulling this off is because you're in Australia and you're the only person crazy right. enough to do it because it doesn't matter to you. Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm right there with you, but I'm, this is what I want to do. So for me, it's not work, but I cut you short. Did, did you want to finish your thought? No, for me, it's, you just, you just hit it. It's just like, I feel as though the more I talk about it, hopefully other people can, can understand it a little bit more. And if they're not happy in, in doing the, the job that they're doing, that they're comfortable going out and, and getting what they, getting what they, they love to do and, and doing, doing it every day. Beautiful. All right, we're going to take a quick break uh, to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back for a true speed round. All right, I have a question for you. 
How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success uh i think i think for me it's just hard work man absolutely what is your biggest Uh, weakness Biggest weakness, um, stubborn. Okay. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, If people ask you more questions than you ask them. Okay. I like that. Uh, What's the biggest challenge you're dealing with today? Uh, Raising more capital for Worksmith so we can grow this thing to other cities. You could just do what I do and live out of my car. (laughs) Yeah. I've got a a five-month-old daughter. (laughs) Oh, well. I guess, that, I guess that changes things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is your uh, one code of conduct or thing you teach your, your TAF? Well, I'm going to say that, that over. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your, your team. This is a core value, a way to be. Yeah, don't be fake. Just be, be genuine. Mm, I love it. Uh, share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. So this is something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. This is a, a service, a, a level of service. Uh, it's not one word answer, but it's uh, kind of is, is touch the table. So uh, how to interrupt the table without using words, without interrupting people. Uh, it's just coming up to the table and, and, and touching the, the physical table itself to, to get attention. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, what is one book that will make us a better person or a restaurant operator? You're going to know it's setting the table, Danny Meyer. Pick another one. Pick another one. <laughs> that one's recommended oh, too many times. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, you probably got to know it as well, but it changed all, all the way a lot how I think about things. But start with why from Simon Sinek. How has that uh, affected you and your your ability to run your, your restaurant? I think it's about having more understanding uh, about the, the reasons why I do what, I, what why I do what I do, and then ha- being able to reflect on those a lot, which definitely flows through to, to what you do in business. I love it. Share one online resource or tool you're leveraging to either educate yourself or be more efficient or to uh, get an edge. Uh, online tool. For me, it's uh, one tool. Slack. Uh, sorry? Slack. <laughs> Slack, definitely, man. 
<laughs> I had that lighter down the track for technology. But, I was uh, going to say that's a, that's a weird one. I don't know. It's kind of in the middle right there. So I, I get you. Is there is there another one that you can think of? Maybe that you had lined up for uh, technology or online resource or tool? Yeah, I use uh, something called Asana. Oh, okay. Um, project is, management. Yeah, project management tool, which just makes make sure I'm organized and I don't miss anything. Okay, nice. Uh, what is one piece of a technology you adopted within your restaurant that has imp- improved communication, operations, efficiency, profitability? Uh, uh, being able to track um, track sales live, basically. What are you so using to do that? Anywhere in the world, I can I can look at sales and um, and be able to. Uh, look at wage costs and things like that really easily. Is there a specific tool you're using to do that? Uh, it's actually Square. Square? Yeah. Square is a simple platform. If you have a simple operation, for sure, exactly. uh, one of the most recommended POS systems on the show. Excuse me. I hope I didn't get that in the microphone. If you guys heard that, I apologize. It was a sneak burp. I didn't see it. <laughs> Uh, if you guys got the news that you'd be leaving the world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, uh, your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about the good of humanity and for uh, your legacy, what would those three things be? Uh, do something that you love that doesn't feel like work. Uh, look after your tribe. So that's everyone you're around each day, including your family uh, at home. Uh, and finding the right balance between what makes money and what, what you believe in. Beautiful. Michael Machetta, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, to share your story, to share your mentorship, to share your knowledge. We're all just a little bit better because of it. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show. Uh, Christian Pugliese is my secret restaurant man crush. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's out there. It's not a secret anymore. He's opened everything that I've ever wanted. So he, he has a wine bar. He's got a, sort of a fine dining restaurant that kind of breaks all the rules. Um, he, what market is he in? Sorry? What market is he in? What mark? Where? Yeah. So he's in Copenhagen. Okay. Christian, um, look out, man. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Did I cut you short again? Sorry, there's a little bit of a lag here. That's all right. Cool. Um, yeah, so he's opened everything I've ever wanted, and uh, I really admire the way he treats his staff and his, his ethos around his restaurants. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, and let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you if we maybe want to come eat at your restaurant or follow you on social media or maybe even join your team or check out Worksmith, maybe join the community, uh, follow on what's, what's there. What's the best way to connect? Uh, best way to connect with me, it's just honestly, if anyone out there is in Australia or wants to talk about what I've spoken about at all today, just email me, uh, michael at worksmith.io. And if you want to check out Worksmith, just uh, worksmith.io online uh, and at worksmith.io on, on social. Uh, check out Bar Liberty at bar liberty, uh, at bar.liberty on, on social or barliberty.com uh, online. Beautiful. Michael, again, thank you so much for taking the time to to share your story, your, your mentorship, everything. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut it there, man. Cheers. That was fun. Um, so... 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Michael Bachetta, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your mentorship. Man, some great advice in today's conversation. I think uh, the, the big ones for me uh, is th- that that idea of tapping into the minds of your people. Uh, he was describing the pre-meal conversations when he was still over at uh, Attica and this idea of, of getting one person to contribute every day into to open up the channels of potential between you and your staff members and not limiting them. I mean, these are, these are powerful minds. These are everybody's mind is a powerful mind and you got to tap into that power. You got to tap into that energy. So you got to let it be known that uh, you can speak up, that you can contribute, that there is a potential there for you in the business. If you do so, Create that culture. Let it be known. Open that two-way communication, that two, that two-way channel of communication, uh, so you can let these opportunities blossom organically. Uh, but it's up to you to create that culture first. To let it be known that people can speak up, that you are listening, that you are willing to take their ideas into consideration. Uh, then also, one thing that uh, is starting to come up more and more, and I think this is really going to be the way of the future because of how how little. Uh, or I guess not, how do we say this? How much, how much competitions out there and how much people who truly do have the, the talent want that sense of skin in the game, want that sense of autonomy, want that sense of ownership. If you're going to be competitive today, you really got to think about, uh, you know, owning a lane and finding partners that are strong where you're weak and, and doing this with multiple people. And a lot of people say, no, never go into business with a partner, uh, do it alone because partnerships are just so hard. But really, I think at the end of the day, we've reached a point where now you just got to focus on being a better partner or working better in partnerships uh, because I don't know how you can do it and how you can be competitive and operate at the level you need to operate today without partners. And you're seeing more and more of these four or five people going into to business together, all with partners, all with that sense of autonomy. I think that's the future. Uh, and I think this is another example of that, but there's some, there, there are some benefits to these good harmonious partnerships. Like you can do other things. You can work on other projects. You might be taking a pay cut at first, but once you get that ball rolling, once you get that momentum, once you start working these systems and processes and you catch stride, you can divert your attention and work on side projects. I mean, there's so many things you can do online today in these building these communities, sharing knowledge, uh, you know, get creative, build other channels of revenue, be an entrepreneur, uh, not just a restaurateur. Uh, then lastly, this is a subtle quick tip in the speed round, but the power of just touching a table. If you need to subtly approach a table and interrupt without being rude, just put your hand on the table. It's a really cool move. Uh, I've, I've never heard that come up on the show before. And, uh, I think it's a very powerful move, so I just want to highlight that. And um, Before we say goodbye, before I do my standard calls to action, I just want to acknowledge and tip my hat Hotel, Aloft West in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I only had to spend three nights in my car in Richmond before uh, powers that uh, powers that that be. Uh, how does that say? Powers that will. People uh, started reaching out. They knew I was here. And opportunities started uh, coming up. And uh, before you do it, I have I have a room for seven days in Richmond, uh, all on the house. Aloft uh, Hotel, Aloft West Hotel. Thank you guys so much for supporting the vision and being there for me. I think it's just a testament that if you exist to serve, if you hustle and put good energy out into the world, you know, the universe does pay attention and it does, it does uh, provide you with the means to do what you do as long as you know, it's for the right reasons. And like always, 
guys, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what I can do to serve you best. I'm here to listen. I'm here to serve you, but it works best when you talk to me. So again, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.